This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I was really frustrated about it, and the day I got the rejection letter from that position, I posted my first TikTok because I just really wanted somewhere to have a voice and be heard. Uh, And the first TikTok I posted, I really didn't know what I was doing. And that video got like over 200,000 views within 24 hours. And I was kind of like, oh, like this is a thing. Like I can do this. And like people want to listen to me. And it's kind of just like snowballed from there. This episode comes to you from a living room three blocks from the Animus River. For the last episode of 2023, I was looking for a conversation that brings some casual and intelligent closure to this past river year and podcast season. I have two guests for this episode, both river media personalities, Teal Leto and Heather Hansman. Heather Hansman is an author writing books and articles on deep topics of rivers, water use, conservation, adventure, history, and seasonal river stories. Tio Leto uses the name Western Water Girl on social media platforms to explore water use and water policy and how these relate to humans and the planet. I was able to sit down with Heather and Teal at the end of November. We start off with introductions. Our first voice is Teal Leto. Uh, my name is Teal Leto and I am from Durango, Colorado. And um, I grew up here. It's a river town. So rivers have kind of been a through line throughout my entire life. I currently am a social media content creator and my content focuses on water access and resource issues throughout the Southwest. Um, But I also do a little bit of social media consulting and I also have a bunch of other gigs because I live in an expensive ski town. My handle is Western Water Girl on everything. And am I right that you work for some organizations and you also work for yourself? Yes, absolutely. I partner with High Country News to bring some of their reporting to the internet, which is kind of nice. They let me memeify their reporting and that's super fun. Talk a little bit more about your relationship with Rivers in terms of like raft racing, whatever Mm -hmm. else you did, if you can just kind of consolidate that in. Absolutely. So I started uh, elementary school at a place called Needham Elementary that has a creek that runs right through the backyard right next to the playground and I was a really nerdy kid I didn't have a ton of friends and so I would definitely go like sneak off to the creek and just like hang out down there and it was kind of a safe place for me and then I also grew up camping in Gateway Colorado right on the Dolores River and all throughout my life I would see these rafters like floating by whenever there was water and I was just like oh my god that's so cool I want to do that nobody in my family was a boater I mean maybe we got like a Walmart raft and like took it down the Animus in Durango. Hmm. But um, my first job when I was, I think, 13 or 14 was being like a girl in front of a raft booth being like, hey, you want to go rafting and like handing out (laughs) brochures. And I stayed there until I was able to take my guide school for free. And then I became a raft guide for about six years. And my second year as a raft guide, I founded a raft racing team. And we ended ended up attending the U.S. National Championships and we won. So then we were able to attend the World Rafting Championships in Japan in 2017 and a World Cup Invitational in China in 2018 and the World Rafting Championship in Argentina in 2018 as well. And basically all of these experiences just kind of taught me that like no matter where you are in the world or what culture you come from, you rely on a river to survive and that river is probably under some kind of threat. And then it also... Traveling internationally and speaking to boaters from across the world made me realize like how special of a place I live in and the water resources we have here are so unique that people all over the world are pining to come check them out. 
Heather, would you introduce yourself, please? Yeah. My name is Heather Hansman. I live in Durango, Colorado. We're sitting in my living room next to my Christmas tree right now. And I am a writer. I'm a journalist. I'm an author. Uh, Sometimes I'm a teacher, which is how I met Teal initially. And so that means I spend a lot of my days in front of the computer typing. But before I was all that, I was a river guide. I started guiding on the Kennebec and the Penobscot rivers in Maine. I'm from the East Coast originally, and rivers are really what brought me west, what brought me here, and ended up here in Durango, where the river's, you know, three blocks away from here. Work-wise, I'm a freelance writer. I'm working on a book project right now, and I also write for different magazines, newspapers, outside, New York Times, basically whoever will have me in this, in this writing economy. And you have two books so far two books so far yeah one's called downriver which is about basically the big picture of water use in the west and to kind of tell that story i um paddled the length of the green river so the book's kind of the story of that trip and also it's a story of all the different user groups and things that pull on that particular river and then how that fits into the picture of the broader colorado river basin and then i wrote a book called powder days which is about the idea of being a ski bum and kind of living the dream and then why that's not always as dreamy and cool as it seems. And I would say you got into some incredible history in powder days around the whole ski industry. I mean, I learned so much reading that book and then the climate comparisons were fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and thinking a lot about, like I said earlier, like skiing in mountains were like part of the reasons why I moved out here. They've been a really shaping force in my whole life. Um, and we're at this like really interesting inflection point in skiing and recreation and all these places right now where like the past and the ways we've been doing things aren't really going to work for the future. And so I think there's a lot of digging into the historical context of that was really interesting and kind of how we got here, but then also thinking about what comes next and what winters are going to look like in the future felt really important to me. Mm -hmm. I noticed on your Instagram kind of like tagline, it said something like better at words than pictures. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Why did you choose writing as the method for, for your life to express what you want to talk about? Um, ooh, it's such an interesting question because I think when you look back, it's easy to be like, here's how the pieces came together. But I think I never, I was never somebody who, has, who had like a ton of intention about what my path was going to be. And I think writing in a lot of ways was kind of like the only thing I was ever good at. And cared about and like teal said i was a really nerdy kid but in a like reading books like hiding in the bathroom so i could stay up late to read books and that kind of thing so that sort of like reading and writing was always a framework for how i could like understand the world um and i guess nuts and bolts wise i was an english major undergrad but after that i was like i'm gonna be outside i'm gonna go be a raft guide so i wasn't super strategic about that but as i got older as I sort of started you know I was working outside a lot and it felt like in a lot of ways questions about what was going on around me weren't being answered in ways that felt helpful or interesting um so that kind of line of inquiry to be like okay who's telling stories about this stuff how do I understand it was kind of my pathway into journalism and then that's kind of cascaded into books that kind of thing so I think it came from that sort of I always was writing. I was always thinking about writing and reading and then trying to kind of like put together the pieces of the world around me. I don't know. That's like the framework for how I see the world. Are you having yeah. fun? Writing? Yeah. Um, 
Ooh. Sometimes it feels really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think writing's so interesting because it feels like, you know, like you write emails and text messages all the time. Like it feels like it should be easy. And then I'm working on a chapter of this new book project that I'm working on right now. I was working on it before you guys came over. And it's like, I feel like I'm like squeezing out 10 words at a time. So sometimes it doesn't feel fun in the process, but I think the like, it feels satisfying and it feels good to like have, have done it. Today's episode is sponsored by Covered with Carrie. Covered with Carrie is a health insurance agency and Carrie herself is a river runner and a river guide. Covered with Carrie provides health insurance for all people and they focus on employees of the outdoor tourism industry, such as guides and adventure sports community members. She is currently working with numerous river outfitters providing insurance for their river guides. And you don't need to be a river professional to acquire health insurance with Carrie. It is open to all River Radius listeners. Many of the available plans are more affordable than you might anticipate. I personally have my health insurance through Covered with Carrie. Carrie and her team work nationwide. If you have existing health insurance through Marketplace, you can book with her by December 15th. And if you don't have health insurance, open enrollment lasts until January 15th of 2024. Use the link in our show notes, in our Instagram link tree, and on our website to set an appointment with Covered with Carrie. Get your health insurance from a river runner. Today's episode is sponsored by the Denver area Nissan dealers. Right now I'm driving my Nissan Frontier long bed four-door truck with a camper shell. We're on a 6% grade climbing uphill. Three dudes in the truck, bed full of gear, pulling a trailer with three boats stacked, all the gear. And we are just climbing. This Frontier has a nine speed transmission, super smooth, uphill shifting, real steady climbing. Roads are slick, trucks holding great. It's just really comfortable, safe, strong boating truck. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. Who's your audience? What do you know about the people who are reading your books, reading your periodicals, and is the audience who you want that audience to be? Man, that's something that you don't really have a lot of control over in a lot of ways. And I don't know, this is the interesting thing about having a book out in the world that you can go read the Amazon comments about it, mm. which is probably pretty unhealthy, but like <laughs> you can go. And I was looking, I don't know why I was doing it. I was looking the other day. You know, there's some like five stars, nice book. And there's some sort of like, angry, pissed off, I don't see the world the way that you see it comments. So it's kind of, that's always an interesting thing to kind of think about, you know, you're putting something out into the world and you don't really know where it goes or who finds it. But when I think about who I'm writing it for, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's sort of for myself or for somebody who's kind of like me. And like Lake Down River is a good example because I started thinking about this book project and thinking about what was happening in Colorado River because I didn't, I wasn't finding the answers that I wanted. And I was kind of like, okay, if I'm somebody who like spends my life on rivers and cares about this and isn't finding the answers, there must be a gap. So that was sort of like, okay, can I, can I write the thing that doesn't exist in the world? And I think whenever you're creating something, there's that tension between doing it for the public and doing it for yourself. And you can't think too much about the audience or else you will never get anything done. But I think it is that like, okay, you're somebody who like cares about the world around you. You're curious, like 
you have questions, like that's the audience, I think. Are you pitching to magazines or do magazines holler at you and say, hey, Heather, we need you to go cover this? 95% of the time I'm pitching. You are? Yeah. And sometimes when somebody drops a story in your lap, it's often not a very interesting one or not something you'd want to cover. And I think that's that's one of the cool and hard parts of my job that I do get to do the kind of like cast the net, what's going on. But it's also kind of crazy making and scary and there's times where I'm like I will never have an idea again (laughs) and I think like there's so much information coming in through our eyeballs right now that it's like my brain feels overwhelmed all the time by how much information is like thrown at me and you can't understand everything nobody gets all of it if you're trying to tell a story how do you catch people and give them something that's sort of like tangible and interesting so Downriver is your first book Mm mm-hmm and you described it kind of as this way for you to discover the things that you wanted to know more about. Would you talk about actually what you did do on that trip? Like how that's a, it's a story of your own, like a portion of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like it really started on a, a Yampa trip on that one of those wire app trips. Um, this was probably 2015 and we were talking about kind of like the future of the Yampa and kind of talking through tribes especially in ag and you know somebody came out to talk about endangered fish and I kind of started thinking about all these different groups that pull on the same waterway and pull on the river and sort of when you look at the pie of the river who gets what and how that's divided up and kind of what the what the conflicts are there where the tension is and thinking through kind of like how those pieces fit together you know at that point I was working for a magazine I was reporting on this stuff I was thinking about it even though I'm like in this world I don't really understand how the pieces get together and I feel like if I'm someone who cares and I don't understand it, probably a lot of other people don't understand it too. And so that story for Down River was like a way for me to try and see in the context of the Green River in particular and the Colorado River in general, like how the different user groups and how the different water rights kind of fit together. And I was like, if I'm going to really understand this, I feel like I have to understand it from the river, from on the ground. Like that's kind of the only way to really see it. So I pitched this book idea that was me paddling the whole river to kind of then talk to irrigators and ag producers, talk to people who are operating the dams, talk to the fish biologists, talk to the recreators about how the pieces came together. Um, So I pitched this book and then somebody bought it. And then I was like, Oh shit, I have to go do this trip that I said I would do. And, and it ended up being like one of the coolest things that I've ever done in my entire life. Probably like one of the coolest things I'll ever get to do. So I started up in the in the Wind River Range at Green River Lakes. I did most of it in a pack raft. I tagged along for a commercial trip through the door to kind of see how that picked up. My family, my parents came for a part, so we were in a raft for pieces of it. I did most of that kind of like through paddle in a pack raft alone. And I'd be on the water for anywhere from like two to 10 days. And I'd get off and do reporting and talk mm-hmm. to people and kind of figure out the context of who was using the river to try and really put it together for myself. So the book is is the story of that trip and it's also the story of who uses water on the river and what the conflicts are now and then what that is going to look like in the future for climate change. I think a lot of times in my work I'm like I try and like sneaky backfeed the science and policy into like the adventure story. So there's a river story and there's also a like Heather learns about water rights and oil and gas production and that kind of stuff along the way. I use your book in so many of my videos, like facts from your book are the basis of like many of my videos. That's minorly terrifying, but cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's like another scary thing about 
putting a book out in the world, you like don't really know where it's going to go and who's going to use it. And you're like, oh, did I get that right? <laughs> I'm glad that you're using it. I fact check. Okay. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> Appreciate it. You go on this trip with the idea of informing yourself based around the idea that maybe other folks who you are trying to also inform struggle to understand this water distribution use concept. What do you get asked? Like, what are the most common things you're getting asked from the people who understand things? And then there's the people who don't. What are you hearing the most? Like, what kind of inquiries do you get the most around your book? Yeah. And I think that there's those two segments are very different. And I think from the experienced people, a lot of it was like, how are you ballsy enough to try and write a book about the Colorado River Basin? And like, you know, like it's such a massive topic. Lots of people have, you know, written about it before and that in a lot of ways I think I was sort of dumb and naive like I don't think I realized how big of a thing I was getting into when I started it because I think that is there's so much history there's so much kind of old boys club there's so much context in trying to write about Colorado River that I think I didn't realize I was like this seems interesting when I first got into it um and I think the question from the people who are maybe not as embedded in it is a like what's the solution and B, you know, who are the bad guys? Like, I think there's a real desire to kind of oversimplify and want these sort of simple, easy solutions. And of course, like people who are way smarter than me have been thinking about this for a really, really long time. Like the line of thinking towards the future is like flexibility. How do we kind of work within the history to make the future better? And I think like one of the really big takeaways for me in in reporting that book and thinking about it is like there's no bad guys in it. It's like they're just coming at it from a super different perspective and their priorities are different. And I think thinking about the super big picture, like the challenge is aligning all those priorities and figuring out where the sacrifices happen. All right. Anything else you want to say by yourself? I don't think so. Yeah. I'd rather hear from Teal. Take the spotlight off me. <laughs> So here we go. Teal, how did you arrive at this role of being a social media presence, we'll call it? Big mm. presence. Well, I definitely grew up in the social media generation. Mm -hmm. So social media has always been a part of my life. Like in college, if you didn't have more than a thousand followers on Instagram, you were like a nobody. Whoa. So it's just like that's always been something that I had to deal with as part of like Gosh. my day-to-day -day life. And I've also always been pretty good at it. I was the social media editor for my school newspaper in college. I've done social media work pretty much since I entered college in 2016, uh, just like helping other organizations with their social media. And also in college, I majored in environmental studies and political science with a focus on water policy. And I had a club on campus, but I graduated in May of 2020. So I went on spring break and they were like, never come back. <laughs> and so I was really upset because I had this outlet and this space to talk about the things that I cared wow. about. And it was just like ripped out from underneath me immediately. Mm -hmm. And I desperately tried to get involved in a lot of other ways. I tried to join, in Colorado, we have a thing called the Colorado Water Plan. And every basin uh, in the state, there's, a, I think, nine basins, has a, a round table, which is just a group of stakeholders that are volunteers that report to the state what the most important projects and priorities are for your basin. Uh, shortly after college, uh, my professor, who was my faculty advisor for my club and taught water sciences on campus, was like, hey, I'm resigning from this position and I dropped your name. So you should apply to be on this board. And so I applied and I did an interview with our county commissioners. 
And bless their hearts, I do really love our county commissioners, but they basically gave me the same thing that I get from a lot of organizations, which is like, oh, sweetie, you're so passionate. Like, there must be another way for you to be involved. Or like, you're so naive. Or like, you need to get another degree. And all of it just means wait your turn, (laughs) which is really frustrating to me because this position I was applying for was a volunteer position. It wasn't even paid. And the person they ended up choosing had a PhD. And it's just like, how is somebody supposed to get involved as like a lay person when the people who are taking up the volunteer positions have PhDs? And I was really frustrated about it. And the day I got the rejection letter from that position, I posted my first TikTok because I just really wanted somewhere to have a voice and be heard. And the first TikTok I posted I really didn't know what I was doing. I had to text my friend and be like, hey, how do you use the green screen feature on TikTok? And she like texted me a little like step-by-step tutorial. And I was actually like on like on the clock working at the snowboard shop I worked at and it was super slow. And I was like, I'm going to make a video. And I posted it and it got picked up by a creator who has like 2.3 million followers and he reshared it. And that video got like over 200,000 views within 24 hours. And I was kind of like, oh, like this is a thing. Like, I can do this. And, like, people want to listen to me. And it's kind of just, like, snowballed from there. So what did you talk about in that first video? This was right when that study had just come out about us being in the worst drought in the last 1,200 years, uh, a mega drought. And I just talked about how I have a lot of climate anxiety. And I think when you hear from young people talking about climate anxiety, you think of, like, oh, the polar bear is emaciated on an iceberg. But, like, to me, it's like this visceral fear of being able to continue living and surviving in the southwest which is my home and it's where I want to build my life and I want to build a future Um, and I just discussed like how horrifying it is to be looking at a future where they're like we're going to run out of water in this area if we don't start managing it better Um, and then I also read a little bit from an op-ed in the Colorado Sun that was by Rika Fulton and Jen Pels where they said something along the lines of our rivers are drying up and more dams won't fix that. And they basically just called out the fact that like the antiquated systems of management for our water resources in the West are driving us quickly towards a catastrophe. And most of the policymakers in the water arena are ignoring the reality that like we are quickly approaching like a almost unsustainable level of consumption of water in this area. So what platforms are you working on right now? I mostly focus on TikTok and Instagram. Um, I do also have a podcast, but I've only posted one episode because the work you do is just so labor intensive. (laughs) I also have a threads account if that's, you know, a thing I post on it sometimes, but mostly TikTok and Instagram. Is, is threads a thing? Like what are the kids into these days? I think threads is like for the cool kids who are like, screw X, but it's still kind of like a wasteland. So like... It's kind of fun, though, because you can post whatever like a lot of a lot of organizations are considering it like a throwaway platform. So they're like posting more like unhinged content than they would post on like Instagram or Facebook because like almost nobody's seeing it. So if you are on there, you can catch brands posting things that are just like, what? Can't believe you're sharing this. So It's kind of fun. I'm honestly really deeply embedded in this like outdoors meme community. And it's really cool. We all like send each other memes and stuff. And Threads is a really good place to see their content that they'll kind of like test the waters with before they post it on their main page on Instagram. I was sort of relieved when Twitter started sucking because I was like, oh, I can ignore it. Like that felt like a weight going away, even though I'm like, I'm probably not getting as much news or information or like there's a loss, but like the, the gain outweighed it. If you look at statistics about where people are consuming their news media, 
the vast majority of people are getting their news media from social media. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but it's the reality. And so like if reporters or writers or anybody in general wants to get their messaging in front of somebody, they have to embrace that social media is going to be part of their communications. From my perspective on that, it's really hard because when I put something out there, you know, like a non-media literate consumer maybe can't tell the difference between like a fact-checked reported story and a like some bro on a Substack writing about water. Oh yeah. It's really hard to do the like vetting and sorting and what's actually true. Absolutely. I think that's so much harder on social media. I agree. But like, I think that part of that, and this is something I talk about a lot at conferences is I think that misinformation is happening because there's a void because like reputable sources are not embracing this form of media. Mm, Yeah. So for example, the Colorado Water Conservation Board has less followers than my personal Instagram. They have like 1800 followers. And I'm like, this is a really, really important agency that like could be educating people about what is at stake and what they're doing to address it. And their posts get like three likes. The Southern Nevada Water Authority has like one of the most fun Instagrams. Yeah, they, they have a whole social media team. It's like 12 people. They embrace it as like that is a significant portion of their messaging and communication for water conservation in their city. And I think we should be doing that in all forms of like environmental advocacy and regulation. You know, Colorado Parks and Wildlife has started recently embracing this. They posted like a, a Barbie meme post that I really, really loved. It was like the Colorado State Parks is different Barbies. That was amazing. And it's important to recognize that, like the way that people consume information is changing. I'm not saying it's good, but denying it just means your your messaging isn't going to be in front of all of those people. So I'm curious who your audience is. We talked about mm-hmm. Heather's audience in, in the writing world. I'm curious who who your audience is, what you know about your audience. And I, and is there a difference in audience between Instagram and TikTok? Is there a crossover? There is absolutely a difference in audience between Instagram and TikTok. Most people over the age of 30, when I say I'm on TikTok, are like, I don't have TikTok. Do you have Instagram? And so my age demographics on, uh, on Instagram are skewed quite a bit older than my age demographics on TikTok. I can also see that on TikTok and Instagram, most of my followers are in Phoenix and Denver in Salt Lake City. Majority of your followers are in those three cities. Yeah. Of that, like, what do you have, 60,000 yeah. something? Because I report, I say report, I make content about issues that face those regions. The yes. Most. So do you have other, do you have Seattle? Do you have New England? Do you have Florida? I see a little bit of Seattle, but it's definitely really focused on the Southwest. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then the only other country that really looks at my content, there's two, would be Canada and Australia. But also, I want to throw out there, uh, my audience that I try to target is people who are not already involved in water conservation work. People who have literally no idea what's going on. Because I think that a lot of environmental advocacy work tends to focus on people who already care about the environment. And I can tell you, based on the number of comments I get on my videos, they're like, who, can I, cur- can I cuss? You sure can. <laughs> who gives a fuck about the fish? And I'm like, they're endangered. Like, these are important fish. And it made me realize like there are people out there that like genuinely don't give a shit about the fish. They don't care about ecosystem health. They don't care about the river being like a healthy intrinsic value for people to go experience. And and, like, we still need to reach those people. They're still stakeholders in our river basin and they will still be impacted by a water shortage if it does happen. 
So when I plan my content, um, I typically do what's called 10% outreach content, and that is to get new people to follow my my page. And then uh, about 10% like update content, which is like following up with old stuff that I posted. And then the other 80% is nurturing. So I'm trying to like provide content to the people who already follow me that I've already proven they're interested in my content and just like continue teaching them. I'm curious then about the feedback you get, the comments you get from people. In fact, you had said to me at one point recently that there's a whole conversation around your comment threads. So I'm curious, what do you hear from your followers? What kind of feedback do you get? Yeah, what's up? I honestly would harken back to what Heather was saying earlier, that people really want a boogeyman. Like they want a bad guy. And nobody really Mm. wants to accept this answer that it's like, it's the system. The system is archaic and inflexible, and that's what's causing all of these issues. But they really want to be like, oh, it's those Saudi Arabian alfalfa farmers Mm. or, you know, point fingers at golf or whatever. And the thing is, like, we are all playing a role in creating this crisis. And there's really no benefit to being like, this is this person's fault. Now, I will put out there that I think it's important to be honest about where water is going. Um, For example, I just recently posted a series of memes about um, these 20 families in the Imperial Valley that own more water than the entire state of Wyoming. And they use most of it to grow alfalfa. And a significant portion of that alfalfa is then exported. And I'm not making them a boogeyman, but I am calling them into the conversation to ask, does this make sense? Should we continue doing this? And I will also throw out there that um, I get a significant amount of climate denialism in my comments. Um, and I think that this is something that the world is not addressing, which is that like there is a, I don't know who's driving it, but there is a very powerful bot army on the internet that if you use the C words, you will get death threats. And they will threat to, threaten to dox you and they will go on every video you have and call you ugly and say whatever they can to make you feel bad. Say you're like paid by George Soros or whatever. And I've gone through and like crept on these profiles and like most of them aren't real people. There is like very clearly a coordinated effort on the internet to make it so people are afraid of talking about climate change. And a lot of the other environmental content creators that I work with will openly discuss with me like, yeah, I use the words warming and drying. They avoid the words change and climate because it just immediately drops down like the views, the interactions, and then you just get a ton of hate. And that's I don't think it's like a conversation that like we're having as a whole about like cyberbullying related to climate conversation. Do you find people sticking up for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's honestly my favorite part about being a content creator is like the people who come out of the word work to be like, no, how dare you be mean to her? So then what is it like to battle with people on social media? If the person is commenting from a place of earnest misunderstanding, then I might say something like, hey, let me explain this to you or here's a link. If I think there's an opportunity to actually educate somebody and they're willing to learn, I will have that conversation. But if the comment is very obviously like just clearly didn't care about the reality of the situation, then I'm not going to comment back with the intent of educating that person. I'm commenting back with the intent of making sure that every other person that reads those comments knows just how stupid it is to say something like that. Um, I will throw out there that like it's definitely a battle mentally for me because I don't want to necessarily like just seep in negative emotions and opinions. But also I think that this whole like taking the high road and like not responding, like you're just perpetuating misinformation. That's something I see in a lot of like even the Colorado Water Conservation Board Instagram I was talking about. They leave up comments that are super, super misinformed and they don't respond to them. So there's going to be people who read those comments and are like, oh, this is the truth. 
if you don't like rectify that situation, people are going to take that as like a fact. So in some ways your comment, your, your battling on, on social media is not with the person, but with the concept. Yes, absolutely. And just trying to get people to understand that like there is a clear factual answer in a lot of these situations. So before we started recording and I was setting up, you and Heather were talking about asking people if they're really engaging in, in taking steps to deal with climate change, not just talking about it, but to take steps to deal with it. Do you feel like you in, in the social media realm are taking steps or are you just talking about it? I feel like social media is just like one arm of the work that I try to do. On social media, my goal with my platform is to prove to other people in this like space that like it's a viable form of communication and like people are ravenous for content that is educational and not just doom and gloom. One thing that's kind of nice with having a platform is I have so much data that like I can see when I put a video out that says like go sign this petition, like I can see how many people went and did that from my page and like sometimes it's a lot and I'm like, "Wow." That's what's cool. a lot? Like what's what, what percentage would be a lot? Like if I post a single video and I get like over 200 people to go sign a petition, mm-hmm. like I would say that's more than I could do on the ground in a day. And that's a success in my mind. Mm-hmm. You going to run for office? I would love to. Yeah. I really do want to run for office at some point in time. But um, what um, about Colorado District 3? You know, I really considered that. I really did. But Adam Frisch has got a really good campaign going on and I will definitely throw my weight behind him. But that's actually when I joined the executive committee for the La Plata County Democrats, I reached out to them saying, I'm going to run against Lauren Boebert. Help me do this. And they were like, whoa, 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 let's pump the brakes. Luke, let's get let's get you involved. Let's get you on the executive committee. And now that I am involved and I go to these you know events and stuff like that, like I see that there is there's a lot of prep work and you need to save up money because you like have to pay your bills during the campaign. So once I am in a place where I could like feasibly support myself for a year or whatever without having to do anything other than campaigning, I will 10 out of 10 be running for office. Today's episode is sponsored by Covered with Carrie. Covered with Carrie is a health insurance agency. Carrie has worked as a river guide and her personal boat is a 10 and a half foot raft made for R2 magic. Covered with Carrie can provide individual health insurance and she can work with outfitters to set up insurance for their guides. You do not need to be a river professional to acquire health insurance with Carrie. It is open to all River Radius listeners. Carrie and her team work nationwide and they will work with you to find the plan that meets your health and financial needs. I personally have my health insurance through Covered with Carrie. If you have existing health insurance through Marketplace, you can book with her by December 15th. And if you don't have health insurance, Open enrollment lasts until January 15 of 2024. Use the link in our show notes, in our Instagram link tree, and on our website to set an appointment with Covered with Carrie. Get your health insurance from someone who knows how to R2. Hey folks, this is Sam. Right now I'm driving a 2023 Nissan Rogue up a river canyon. Here we go. We're going to do some passing. This car is really strong and smooth with its transmission feels very powerful, very safe, and very steady, easy to drive, handles great, has a small footprint in the lane, and yet it really feels like a big car. It's got big windows, I was driving it yesterday with four big guys, it handled the load great, it handled the space of us really well. This is the kind of car you can put your boats on the roof, you can load the back hatch with lots of river gear. The other thing I've noticed about this car is that it has an incredible turning radius. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. 
So I'm curious, I'm curious for both of you, what you are working on, like what projects are in the works right now for each of you. These can be small things. These can be bigger projects. Heather, let's start with you. You said you're next behind this wall in this, in your, your office writing a book. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the office cave right behind you. <laughs> um, I'm working on a new book. I'm, I just extended my deadline. I was supposed to have a draft in March, but I pushed it back to June. Um, and it's about basically women in the outdoors. I'm looking at three women who were, I think, pretty pivotal in how we, they were all kind of alive in the middle of last century, how they're pivotal in how we recreate and how we think about conservation and how we think about sort of environmental philosophy and how we show up in the world whose stories didn't get told. So I'm doing, this is way more history than anything I've ever done before, but kind of going back and looking at their stories and then also trying to give context for A, like whose voices get heard in this like mushy conservation recreation world that we show up in and then how would things be different if we were listening to other people's voices can you tell us who the women are yeah one of them georgie white who was one of the first grand canyon guides so i got to do a my first grand trip this summer i was a swamper on a trip um to kind of do context for that um and then another one is ann la bastille who was a ecologist um big conservationist and was also a hermit she basically lived like like Thoreau, but cooler. So I'm trying what? to get into, she was in upstate New York. Okay. Um, and she also did a lot of work in South America, but to kind of look at who gets to go outside alone, who's like, you know, who gets to have an adventure and who gets judged for it. Um, and then the third one is Dolores LaChapelle, who's local here in the San Juans, who was um, kind of big in the ski world. She kind of gets a lot of recognition for that. But she also developed this whole deep ecology idea that's now really relevant that was kind of looked down upon in the 70s and 80s she was a big part of kind of the thinking behind earth first so she was this really kind of like subversive environmental thinker and a lot of her kind of like thinking about that came from being on being on snow so there's kind of this like connective line through you know from early days of getting on boating into how do we think about protecting places through these people and when when can we get that on the bookshelf well, I just blew my deadline, so like probably 2025. Okay. Stay tuned. Uh, what are you doing? What are you working on, Teal? Uh, well, I'm always working on TikToks. I always have a bunch of things cooking in the kitchen. But I am working on a writing project. I don't think I'm like at a place where I can share it like uh, Heather did, but I did do a writing workshop with Heather, and she inspired me to try to work on getting some like written form content. My style of writing is definitely really irreverent, though. So, like, my idea is to have, like, a river book that's kind of in, like, a Chelsea Handler-style, mem- like, memoir. Like, lots of curse words. Pretty rowdy. Definitely for people who, like, maybe if you're already into rivers, you want a chuckle. But, like, mostly for people who could have it as, like, a coffee room or a coffee table or, like, bathroom reader. And just kind of, like, chuckle and learn a little bit while they're reading it. Learn about... Rivers. We'll leave it at like, that. Okay. But like, the, like, let me ask, maybe you'll go a little deeper. Yeah. River gear or rivers and river details and river facts? Like river policy. Okay. Yeah. And like management. Yeah. But in like a fun way. Good. I'm curious what you both are seeing as, as like hot river topics. The things that have been big on people's minds in media this year, 2023 around rivers and water. What are some of the bigger topics that you've seen and what's happening to those topics? Teal, you're nominated. 
Well, I, w- I want to start off with Sam. I think, honestly, I have a totally different audience than your podcast because your podcast is people who are like river people. And like my audience are not like f- like there are river people that follow me. But I think the vast majority of my followers are people who like live in cities and like aren't necessarily mm-hmm. super into rivers. They just were like, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. And then they followed me so they could learn more. And mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so the issues that they're talking about are not necessarily like about like rafting gear or like what river they're going to run. It's like consistently about golf and the Saudi Arabian alfalfa farm. And those are the two issues that people bring up every single video that I post. And I have made 15 videos about the Saudi Arabian alfalfa farm. And people are still like, you should really report about this. And I'm just like, I can't, there's no more to be said on this subject. Um, and then golf people just like I said earlier they really want a boogeyman and golf is an easy one to point yeah. a finger at and it's kind of a waste of resources in my opinion but it's also definitely not like the driving cause behind yeah. the water crisis in the west I also will throw out there that I think uh, this conversation surrounding like tribal involvement and tribal water rights is definitely up and coming for example the Colorado Water Conservation Board just appointed a member who is a vice chair for the Southern Ute Tribal Nation that's the first tribal representative on the Colorado Water Conservation Board since it was founded in 1936. Lorelai? Yeah, Lorelai Cloud. Cloud, yes. She's local here. Yes, and we have, we spoke on a panel together at Mountain Film and she's one of my biggest inspirations. I think everything she's doing is so cool. And the way that she's like, she's definitely an advocate for tribal water rights and and tribal recognition and also like climate advocacy and like recognizing the unsustainability in the in the basin. But she's so good at talking about it in a way that doesn't alienate anybody in the in the negotiating room. It's just like so impressive to me. But like more broadly, like High Country News and ProPublica and a lot of other organizations have started really reporting on like the lack of water access on a lot of the tribal reservations in the Southwest. Are they reporting because it's trendy to talk about or are they reporting because there is a growing concern among people who have good water access? I think A, it's a little bit like Native American issues and indigenous issues are definitely trendy right now. And I'm going to be honest about that. But I also think people are talking about it because of this 2026 operational guidelines that are being negotiated. And this is an opportunity for the tribes to be invited to the table. So there's kind of like an opening, a door for them to actually be involved where they have not been before. And so I think people are really trying to like throw as much fuel on that fire as they can while that's an opportunity to participate for them. So that's an emerging topic. I mean, it's, it's, it's a topic that's been on media in the river conversation but growing and you feel like Mm -hmm. that's a topic that's going to carry on. Absolutely. And then I also think high country news did some like really investigative journalism that kind of like blew the top off of the impression that I think a lot of people had about specifically how the state of Arizona has been interacting with the tribes and their water rights. And they were even able to find like a trove of documents from the department of justice where the department of justice was originally in the like 1940, 1950 was going to declare all tribal water rights prior and superior to those of the States And like the governor of Arizona had like this clandestine meeting with the attorney general. And the next day they revoked that memo. That's like some uh, water knife. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's crazy. It's like and that's what I'm saying. It's like to me, that's like full on like sitcom, like West Wing level. Like, I don't know. That's that's drama that like should is entertaining. And I think because of that, there's like some interest and people are, are starting to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the tribal question and the question of like trendy is sort of an interesting one because it's like, okay, what's driving our attention? Is it because we're more broadly thinking about equity and who has access? Or is it that kind of timestamp of we're like renegotiating the compact? 
who's actually in the room when these decisions are being made. What are we honoring? What court cases from the seventies like are actually coming to the table? I think that I think that question of I mean, I guess like for me, the like, is it trendy or not is less interesting than like what's actually being done about it. And I think there is, you know, whatever, whatever the the thread is that got it there. I think there is more of a focus on water equity, water access. And then also you've seen a lot more sort of national reporting, national coverage, national sort of talking about groundwater which i think is pretty interesting because i think groundwater is not that sexy even though it is important Mm -hmm. but that feels like it's like on the table and kind of in conversation a lot more i think this kind of bigger picture thing about how do we think about water and the rivers as part of a system and less of a like you know plumbing channel to get water to cities feels like it's changing and like we're talking about like okay how are the pieces connected is coming up more than it used to in the past. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the big change I'm seeing. I also thought of one other thing, which is the Great Salt Lake drying up. That's something people are really, really concerned about. It's an issue that's still existing and it's in the news and I there's a lot of work to be done about it. And I think it's one of those like few environmental issues where like boots on the ground, like people campaigning and canvassing and showing up to volunteer actually makes a difference. And the environmental organizations are fighting tooth and nail to like have the state of Utah actually address the issue. And it's also like really short term, you know, like with climate change and the Colorado River, we don't really know like when the next like when the shoe will drop. But like we know within the five, next five years, the Great Salt Lake mm-hmm. will dry up if we don't change things. So, Heather, you, you write you write about in Powder Days, the idea of this is my perception of what you wrote about. Can't wait to hear <laughs> the, the idea that skiing was so easy to access and so fun and so just joyous and commonplace in so many places. But then it's changing because there's less snow, less winter, less ability to to know that we're, there's going to be a ski season in places. And so, like these these things that have been that are these perceived things that have been important that are all changing. I'm curious then how that applies to concepts that we have around water today. Now, like what are you seeing as concepts that? have been steadfast that it's time for those to change and what's the change that should take their place. This is something I have thought about a lot in my kind of like reporting and trying to tell stories is that we're all operating in the context of whatever time we show up in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I thought about a lot, my one of my grandfather's best friends was a reclamation engineer um, who was, you know, had a hand in building Glen Canyon. And when he did that he thought he was like really doing good for the world and that he was like providing ways for people to like provide for their families and grow food. And like, even though he had a hand in this thing, that's now this huge, you know, you could call it an environmental disaster, like a problem that we're dealing with. It came from a good place. And I think like, it's the same with like, there's no boogeyman, there's no bad guys. Like in, in the context of a time, people are often trying to do good with the situations they have. And, but that, like, the needle's always moving. And, like, you were talking about, Tila, about how the youngs now just have this, like, overwhelming sense of climate fear and paranoia and, like, that the future feels so grim. Like, I think, I think we, it's easy to get mad at the past when you're looking at the future and you're, like, standing at the point that you are. Getting angry at the past, I think, like, doesn't, isn't that helpful? Because we have to like work in the reality of what's happening right now. And so I think that and like 
in 50 years, we're probably going to look back to 2023 and be like, those idiots were trying to whatever it is, fill mead first, <laughs> you know, like, like we're always kind of like working in that reality of what's going on. And so I think in trying to like avoid the boogeyman and to kind of like think about what's happening next, like you try and give that grace of like, we're probably going to F up whatever we're doing now, but like we're trying to move the needle and we're trying, like, I feel like that's like applicable to those equity questions too, where it's like, yeah, shit has been really fucked up in the past, but like we can try and do better now and we can try and open up the conversations. I feel like I'm kind of like talking around in circles because it's a little bit of a wiggly question. Even when we talk about flexibility, which I feel like is kind of a trendy word and to me really feels like the heart of how things have to change, like there will be losers. Like there will be, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not, it is a zero sum game on some level where like things are going to get bad for people they haven't been bad for before. Like it's not all going to be sunshine for everybody, but like how do we do that in a way that's like we can envision some kind of change and we can also make it happen. Teal, so leadership, unique platforms, unique styles of conservation. I'm curious where you are seeing the coolest, cleverest things happening. Individual people or organizations or policies on the idea of leadership and change around around rivers and water. I would say the Southern Nevada Water Authority is always going to get a shout out from me. The work that they do to... Uh, reduce their water consumption is astonishing. And I think that they're a role model that the rest of the arid United States should be following, maybe even the rest of the world if you live in an arid region. Uh, Just for some context, like they have been able to expand their population by 750,000 individuals while reducing their water consumption by about 23% or 27%. Um, and like basically is a case study for like the fact that population growth does not have to mean increasing water consumption. The goal of their program is to educate people, but the point is that they are putting the mo- their money where their mouth is. Like they are saying we're going to reduce our consumption and they're following through with that. They're not just trying to like cut a little on the margins. They're like making really, really big changes to be sustainable. And I love that because people like to point at Vegas and be like, oh, that's like a bastion of excess and Vegas is the reason we're in this, this water crisis in the first place. And like, I love that a place that you really don't think of as like an environmentally forward thinking space is leading the charge and like the best way to manage water for a city. And then the other person I'd give a shout out to is Lorelai Cloud. Like I just talked about earlier. I think it's really amazing to see somebody who is stepping into a space where I'm sure it's uncomfortable to be in those meetings, to be representing a voice that hasn't been heard for almost a hundred years And she does it with like such bravery and poise. And I just like hope that in the next 20 years, like I can pick up some of that energy and and channel that in my own life. Heather, what's an author or a book you recommend? Ooh, I I have notes on this one. I have two books for you guys (laughs) that came out this year that I really loved. The first one is Brave the Wild River. Did you guys read that? No. You should have Melissa on. She's haven't really read it, good. but I really, really liked that it's story. so good. What's the, is it fiction or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. It's about two women. They were botanists, Elzada Clover and Lois Jotter, yeah. and they were the first women. Oh, yeah, I do know this book. Down the Grand Canyon. Yes. Yeah, um, and it's just, so it's basically like the story, and they like convinced, it was Norm Neville's first trip down the Grand Canyon. They basically were like doing all this sort of like groundbreaking river running and groundbreaking science, and like the research that they did, because it was before the dam, it was like, one of the only complete biological records that people got of the plants down there. And so it's like really interesting on a historical level. And then it's also just like 
she's such a good writer. It's just like the storytelling is so good. The language is beautiful. And the other one is like a little off topic, but it's called Crossing and it's by Ben Goldfarb and it's about roads and basically all the ways that roads and like infrastructure has changed how wildlife moves, how water moves, like yeah. kind of like how we in it's kind of gets back to that like history question of like these things that were like made in the name of progress then mm-hmm. totally jack up everything around us. That's interesting. And he's another like he's just like a really like one of the reviews I read about it was like there's all these dad jokes in the book and he's just like a funny smart writer who can take this kind of like boring infrastructure stuff and make it good. Mm-hmm. So those are my two book recommendations. Any anything else either of you? Anything else you want to throw into the conversation? This is maybe me plugging journalism in general, yeah, <laughs> but I it. think that we, you know, a lot of stuff we talked about today, the stories we are paying attention to are from really deeply reported focus stories like the groundwater story, the farmers in California story. So like, I don't know. I'm just like still such a believer in media and paying for media and going to the like news sources, like going to the ProPublica, going to the LA times, going like, I get a little cynical and scared in the social media era that we're like losing the center of, of the truth and of paying attention. So I guess my shout out is, pay for journalism yeah i'll add to that shout out which is like subscribe to high country news because they do really excellent reporting on environmental and other issues in the west and i think it's they're one of the few news organizations that are really like hyper focused on these issues that we've been talking about in this conversation Mm -hmm. and i think that's really cool as far as a takeaway i say this in every podcast interview i do If somebody is listening who's a young person who feels like disempowered and like the world is crashing around them and they can't make a difference, I promise you, you can. And all you have to do is just start using your voice. And I think so many people feel like nobody will listen and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if they're listening. Like you just have to start talking. You have to start putting yourself out there and doing your best to make the change you want to see because it's just depressing to like sit at your home and be like, I can't, I can't do anything about this having even like the most minute tangible effect on the issues you care about will feed your soul and your heart more than scrolling through TikTok or Instagram ever will. Also, it's an election year. Oh yeah. And vote. It will be an election year after this podcast. Yeah. It's coming soon. Yeah. Locally and federally and nationally. Like, yeah, I think that that's a really, you just kind of gave me chills. Like it's easy to talk about stuff, but like get out and do something. Teal Leto, Heather Hansman, Thank you both so much for having the time on the podcast with me. It was really fun. Thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. See you next year. A well-researched River Story size thank you goes out to Teal Leto, a.k.a. Western Water Girl, and Heather Hansman. Today's advertising sponsors are Covered with Carrie, Health Insurance from a River Runner, and the Denver Area Nissan Dealers. You can find a direct web link for Covered with Carrie in the show notes and in our Instagram link tree. And you can find the Instagram and website for the Denver area Nissan dealers in the show notes. In today's show notes, you can also find so many links for today's guests. This is our last episode of 2023. Each of you listening, thank you so much for being engaged with the River Radius this year. I'm having a great time running these interviews and building out these episodes. And I'm glad you're here to listen. We are lining up more solid shows for 2024. We will start the year off with Heart Attack on the River, 
This episode was recorded live this month, December of 2023, at the America Outdoors Association Conference. All year long, our social media has been brought to you by Samantha Sice, and all year long, all of our music has been composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. Locally, there's a big conversation about like people pooping in the backcountry. That was like some real news stuff right there. Do you guys want a break for a snack here in my podcast studio? Can you do your TikTok voice really quick? What do you mean my TikTok voice? Oh, the way you start, the way you start your videos. Did you know? Did you know? <laughs> and then always like, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>